Welcome to Why Did You Read That? My name is Megan. I'm Peter. With me is Peter, (laughs) as always. (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to start us off with a joke that I quite enjoy, if you're ready for it. I guess so. I mean, you got last the last one. I liked the last one. Because you solved it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm worried. I think I may have peaked. Well, let's find out. Okay. What do sprinters eat before they race? Uh, I don't know. Nothing. They fast. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I was trying to think of something that rhymed with Wheaties or something, but yeah. then... I like it. (laughs) Me too. Me too. So this is our February episode. Yeah. Love month. That means Valentine's Day. Yep. And I'm sure everyone's going to see all of the terrible takes on romance novels that come out around Valentine's Day. Yep. Sadly. (laughs) Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. I I don't care for it. Yeah. Me either. I'm not like the, the biggest romance reader or fan in that way. But also, I I don't know. People just have this preconceived notion about romance novels that I think is totally wrong. Yeah. I mean, it is totally wrong. And I think we could make a bingo card where it's like, okay, where's the article that calls it mommy porn? Yeah. Where's it coming from? <laughs> or the one that's like, what's the point of this? You know how it's going to end. And yeah. I'm like, how did you think the Avengers movie was going to yeah. end? Like, Are they going to solve the mystery in a mystery? What yeah. do you think? Right. <laughs> Poirot, you've done it again. <laughs> I thought this time for sure you yep. would have no idea who the culprit was. I'm shocked, floored <laughs> to find that you figured it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when people say that kind of thing or like they'll say the thing about romance of like, oh, that's so formulaic because by page X, Y has to happen and so on. But I'm like, I read comic books all the time. Yeah. That is like the most formulaic thing on earth. Like if you... Go back, especially, and read, like, the 60s comic books. You're like, okay, so we start off with Peter Parker at school. Then uh, we see a guy breaking out of jail and gets covered in chemical. Then uh, he turns into the Sandman. You're then... kidding. He turns into the villain? <laughs> yeah. I never would have guessed. The one person who we've never seen before in the comic, <laughs> who's just kind of a random dude, turns into the villain. Who would have wow. thought? I'm yeah. shocked. It's very Scooby-Doo that way, yeah. where you're like, maybe it's Fred this time. And then you're like, eh, it's not Fred. Well, and romance is, it does have a formula. Like, I'm not going to argue that. But what's fun about it is figuring out new ways to play with the formula. Yeah. No, it makes sense to me. I, I think formula is fine, because it's like, sometimes the restrictions on something force you to be more creative. Yeah. Because well, you have to work within a boundary. Well, if you really know a thing, you can break the rules right. if you know what you're doing. And that's really exciting. Hundo percento. Yeah. So you brought some romance novels? I brought romance novels. And you brought, I'm guessing, love stories. I brought love stories. Yeah. <laughs> I failed to read a single romance novel since last month. That's okay. Um, but I'm going to try to read... Ice Barbarians. Ice Planet Barbarians. Ice Planet Barbarians. I'm going to write it down. Excellent. Because I would like to talk about it. You know, it was the rage of TikTok for a while. It's something that that romance at large has known about for quite some time and has been popular. But uh, TikTok discovered it, and it's gotten new life. 
TikTok likes weird romance books. They do. For sure. Well, so does romance, to be fair. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. I guess those audiences cross over. They do, yes. It's just that they didn't realize they were part of, of the romance community. I think the but title we them. The title really works, too. It's Ice good. Planet Barbarians. You should see the cover. It's great. It ha- probably has a new cover. I think they've been reprinted, but... Maybe I'll have to get the original yep. cover. Big blue aliens. Oh, yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So are you ready to hear my four books? And uh, I'm gonna, I brought four, and you'll pick two of mine, and you brought four, and I'll pick two of yours. Yep. All right. And I'm starting, I believe, this week. Okay. My first book is called A Heart of Blood and Ashes by Mila Vane, and it is, a, it is like an epic fantasy romance. Uh, It's in a series called Gathering of Dragons, and it's like a barbarian romance, but not an alien. But not on an ice planet. Not an ice planet barbarian. (laughs) Okay. Just a regular old, you know, loincloth wearing for barbarian. (laughs) This is our ice planet barbarian section. This is our sort of your vanilla barbarian section. Right, (laughs) exactly. Okay. This is straight barbarian (laughs) over here. Then I have The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels by India <laughs> Holden. And this is a historical romance with some fantasy elements. And it's about a lady society of proper Victorian ladies who are also thieving pirates in flying houses. All right. Yeah. <laughs> then I have Neon Gods by Katie Robert. And this is a contemporary kind of... A, very spicy take on Hades Persephone myth. All right. Then finally, Isn't It Bromantic by Lissa K. Adams. This is part of the Bromance Book Club. Part series. four in the series, I believe. Huh? Part four, I believe. Yes. How do you know that? Uh, I think you put it on a list for a newsletter article that's coming out. I did. And so I looked it up. <laughs> I just kind of wanted to say that because I was like, she's going to be shocked. I was shocked. You were not wrong. (laughs) Well, then you may have read the summary, but just for the sake of anyone listening, um, it is about a hockey player in A Marriage of Convenience. He's also a member of a book club of men who use romance novels as manuals to um, improve their relationships. Oh, that's very meta. Yeah. I like it. All right, I'm going to go first with, well, I think it's pretty obvious I'm going to go with, isn't it romantic? So should I go start there? It's up to you. I think I'll start there. Okay. How could I not? <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's a, a whole series of this group of men in Nashville. The, the first book, I think, is about a professional baseball player who's got a marriage in trouble. So they're all popular romance tropes but set from the perspective of the male character, which is a little bit different, you know? So kind of, kind of fun. Okay. And this one is one that a lot of people were waiting for because the, the hero of this book, Vlad, um, he's known throughout the rest of the books primarily as just the Russian. <laughs> <laughs> and for the first three books, he has terrible gastrointestinal problems. Oh, geez. <laughs> but by the fourth book, he's figured out that he's lactose intolerant, so... Oh, He's got that under control, which is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the Russian was surprisingly born in Russia. Mm. And he has a childhood friend, and her name is Elena. 
and she, uh, her father was a, a reporter, a journalist in Russia, and he started digging into the wrong story and was murdered because Russia. Oh, <laughs> sure. So Vlad had just signed a contract to come and play hockey professionally in the U.S., and to get her out of harm's way, they decided to have a marriage of convenience. So they get married, but it's a marriage in name only. They come to Nashville. He starts playing hockey, and she goes off to, I think, Chicago to go to school to become a journalist herself. So he has feelings for her. He's wanted this to be a real marriage the whole time. She is under the impression that it is really just a marriage of convenience, and they're just friends. <laughs> So she's graduated, she's coming back to Nashville, and they are at a point where it's like divorce is, is next, and she's planning on going back to Russia to finish her father's work, basically, and avenge his murder. Okay. So Vlad is, first of all, writing his own romance novel to kind of, <laughs> which I think is great, and you get chapters of his romance novel in the book. So you How is it? Is it good writing. or is it not so good? Um, I mean, it's not terrible, but it definitely, so here's part of the fun is that he's writing it and then the bromance book club reads it and tells him what he's doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. And, uh, he's also, he's kind of figured out that Elena is probably not going to give him a chance. So the bromance book club is trying to convince him that he needs to fight for his marriage. And he also has this group of friends that are called the loners and they're all widows and they're all kind of pushing him to, like, fix his marriage as well. So there's all these, these, like, older women. It's hysterical and also very, like, emotional and moving because he's... Normally when you read a romance novel, the woman is the one who's kind of... She represents emotion and she has to teach the hero how to feel feelings. Right. <laughs> and it is kind of switched around in this one okay like he feels the feelings already and he has to convince her to give them a chance so okay there's also an underground cheese like market a black market on cheese because <laughs> why not <laughs> so doesn't have fun. enough going on yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome it sounds it's great it sounds like a good uh romantic thing where it's like there's opportunity for like feelings mm-hmm for some fun mm -hmm. and for some heavier stuff yeah. too, you know? Yeah, and, they're definitely, it was emotional and like I, I felt the feels the whole way, but also I laughed a lot. Like the cheese guy was a genius element. Love the cheese guy. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a cheese man in, yeah. why not? He's like the, the master of cheese. Like he can match you to your perfect cheese. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he has all of the cheeses that, like, you can't buy in stores because they're not pasteurized. He's like a cheese sommelier. Exactly. Cheesemonger mixed together. And he finds that obscure Russian cheese that they grew up with. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's never even occurred to me to think about, like, I wonder what kind of cheese they got in Russia. Yeah. There's a lot they of cheese probably got there. something, though. I mean, how many varieties of cheese do they have in France? I would like shudder to think. Billion. I get overwhelmed by the cheese counter at like King Supers. Yeah. And I read an entire book about cheese to try and figure it out. And then I tried one that I was like, this seems to be the most likely can't. And it was horrible. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's, I guess that ends my affair with cheese that's not orange. <laughs> 
Yeah, I I have to admit that I'm low class in my taste for cheese as Me well. Me too. If they call it bloomy or like if there's mold on the out, like I'm just not interested. Yeah, no, no. Did you know there's a cheese that's like a delicacy and it has maggots in it? No. Yeah, I think it's in like the Basque region of Spain or something like that. Do and... you eat them live? Yes. Like they're wriggling? Yeah. In... Oh, no. I know. No, no, no. You should look it up. But... <laughs> Yeah, not for me. I'll I always, stick to my cheddars and my mozzarellas and my mascarpones. It's like every every locale, and this is like states have this, but then countries or continents seems like they have their thing that's like your uh, rotten shark meat or you're like, yeah. here's like some uh, alcohol with like a dead snake in it. And you're <laughs> like, what? Whose idea? I want to know who was like the Johnny Appleseed of the world of each of these different countries or whatever who's like, this is going to be our thing. Mm -hmm. Our our weird thing that, you know, people come here and they're like, do you guys have that booze that has an entire armadillo dead inside? Like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Well, that sounds excellent. Put the cheese that smells like, like dirty socks in their mouth. Who's the first person, yeah, who was like, well, this kind of just grew. Yeah. I guess I'll eat it. Yeah. I guess if you're hungry enough, you're like, well, I didn't die. It a rich person food, and I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. I think that a lot about lobster. Yeah. I'm like, who's Lobster the... used to be peasant food. Right. Which makes sense, because if you've seen a lobster, you're like, I mean, this is a bug. Yeah. This is a giant bug that it's lives sea, in the sea, it's right? It's a sea spider. Yeah, it's horrifying. Yeah. It would be like someone suggesting you eat a spider. Ish. It's like, eh, I'll pass. And then it somehow, well, I think it's probably when they discovered like, oh, you know what you can do is like lobster is a convenient excuse to be high class, but also eat an entire stick of butter <laughs> in one sitting. <laughs> this is the way out. Yeah. So many foods are just an excuse for butter. Yeah. Yeah. Good vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm ready. So here are my four uh, love stories. Okay. I'll call them. One is called 100 Nights of Hero by Isabel Greenberg. This is kind of a remake, a remix of the Scheherazade, what do you call that? Arabian Nights Mm -hmm. stories. Thousand and One Nights. Yeah. And so it's, it's similar concept, but it's got a little bit different angle to it. Uh, the next one is called How Do You Live by Genzaburo Yoshino. Okay. Yoshino. This is actually a story that I'm generously calling a love story, but it's platonic love between boys. Okay. Uh, one is called Upgrade Soul, and it's a graphic novel. It's about a, uh older couple who decide to go and basically put their consciousness into new bodies. Okay. And the last one is called Beautiful You by Chuck Palahniuk, which is... Your old pal. My old buddy. (laughs) (laughs) My good chummy chum chum. I had, for everyone listening, I had a minor Goodreads fight with somebody. (laughs) This is like a thing that happens is occasionally if you review a bunch of stuff on Goodreads, Someone will go into a review you wrote like three years ago and give you a hard time for no apparent reason. Yeah. 
And so then you have to... Decide how to handle it. Do you walk away or do you engage? Yeah. And basically this person was making a bunch of demands about how I should review books. And I said, make me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Beautiful You by Chuck Palahniuk is uh, kind of his like, uh, maybe kind of a parody of like, not romance in general, but like specifically the super popular... Uh, your Fifty Shades of Grey, your, I guess, Twilight's kind of in there, your... The juggernaut hit. Yeah. The blockbuster. Yeah. So it's kind of a parody of a lot of that stuff. Okay. Those are my... Okay. My love stories. I would like to start with 100 Nights of Hero. Is it 100 or 1,000? It's 100. 100. Okay, so 100 Nights of Hero is a graphic novel. Uh, She also did one called Encyclopedia of Early Earth, which is awesome. Okay. Um, She writes and draws herself. So it's like a single-person unit. The story of 100 Nights of Hero is there are these two women, and this is like an old-timey, it's set in kind of a fantasy setting. It looks vaguely like our medieval times. Okay. But, you know, a little more fantastical, maybe. Okay. There's these two women. One of them is married, and the other one, who is named Hero, is uh, like her, what do you call, handmaiden or something. And so the married woman, uh, her husband is talking to this other guy. And the other guy is like, I think your wife might be dishonest. And the guy is like, no way. And he's like, but maybe. And so they have basically a wager where the husband is going to leave for 100 nights and the friend has 100 nights to try and seduce the wife. Okay. So what's kind of funny about Isabel Greenberg's comics is like they present these sort of old-timey situations, but the people talk in a very modern way. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it creates a fun contrast. And basically what happens is... Um, so the husband thinks the wife is just like nice, but... Clueless, whatever. She's actually very smart and uh, clever. And, you know, he knows a lot about, like, some silly topic, like, you know, trebuchet building or something. But she knows more about it than he does. Right. So she's, like, wise to the whole thing. She knows what's going on. And she knows the husband is, like, setting her up this way. The secret part is that she and Hero are in love. And so they're carrying on a secret affair, which isn't, they can't be public about it because it's old time and they're both women. Right. So basically at first she's like really pumped about this because she's like, my husband's going to be gone for a hundred days. So we can kind of have this love affair. (laughs) Then this guy who's kind of adult starts just coming around and like, he's extremely not smooth about like trying to make this happen. He just kind of comes over and then is always coming over with no shirt on, (laughs) which is like extremely weird. Does he have bad pickup lines? Oh, he's the worst. Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like that. And then pretty quick, he kind of frustrates himself because he's so inept at trying to seduce this woman that he basically is like, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to seduce you. And that's just it. So Hero, 
Hero comes up with the plan of, similar to the Arabian Nights plan, she's going to tell a story every night. Hero's going to tell a story? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, the the guy, the adult who's coming over is like, well, I can't, I can't seduce you in the day. That would be... <laughs> Unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a monster. <laughs> like... <laughs> So he basically comes over with no shirt on and then is like, she's like, I'm, oh, I was telling, uh, you know, this woman you're about to seduce a story. And he's like, well, you could go ahead and finish. And so then she finishes up the story and he's like totally entranced by it. Right. And so each story kind of like continues on the last one so that, uh, you know, the trick here is that he's like, well... I have a hundred nights, right. no problem. So then it starts getting extra funny because this guy's not smart. So he's like completely losing track of what night it is. And there are like guards at the the castle or whatever who are also like adding to the confusion because they're on hero and the other woman's side. Mm-hmm. So the way the story works, you've got this overarching story that connects um, everything, and then it's got a bunch of tiny little stories. And the tiny little stories are kind of like different fairy tales or fables or whatever, and they're all a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I should say they're really good. They're not all fun, but they're they're pretty good. Okay. And they're pretty entertaining. And then the other part of it is that Hero is making this all up as she goes, you know, and connecting them all as she goes and whatever. So every once in a while, the guy will say, like, wait a minute, I thought you said this, you know, and she has to quickly cover herself and whatever. So I won't I won't get too far in from there. But uh, that's kind of the setup. So it's like a, uh, what would you call that? Like a quilt story. Okay. Where you've got the overall quilt, but then you've got each little square that fills out the quilt. Yeah. Super entertaining. It's pretty funny and yeah. pretty fun and also... I don't know. It's nice, too, because if you don't particularly care for story A, it's fine. Story B is coming. It's switching like, up. Yeah. Yeah. There aren't a hundred stories also. And in the book, Isabel Greenberg basically in the narration is like, look, we're not going to do every single night. That would be <laughs> tedious and silly. So, you know, it's probably it, the sometimes she'll be like, I don't know, 10 or so nights later, you know, and then that's how it introduces the next scene. Really good, and, like, the love story between the two women is fun. Yeah. There are also, like, little love stories in the small stories as well. Okay. Yeah, lots of fun. So here's my question for all all of my romance readers out there. Happy ending or no? You know, I'm going to say the ending is, it's somewhat ambiguous. Okay. But I would say overall happy. Okay. It Not could be bleak anyway. No, I mean it it kind of heads that way and then the ending's a little ambiguous, but I certainly choose to interpret it as a happy ending. Okay. Because like I like everybody else in the story except for these two dumb guys <laughs> is like rooting for the the two women. Right. They're the only ones who seem like <laughs> yeah, convinced that something is wrong and it's not them. <laughs> How could she resist his manly bare chest? It's so funny. 
and it's so weird because you you know you don't usually think about that like from medieval times, yeah, as being something someone would do. And he's like acting kind of like he's on like a a modern dating show where it's like we got ten hot singles in a house, you know, and they're just parading around with no shirts on. But he's the only one behaving that way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know that honestly sounds like something I would read. It's pretty good. I yeah. think you'd like it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Do you need a reminder? Let's see. We had heart and body and ashes. Heart of blood and ashes. <laughs> this is my own handwriting spell, <laughs> uh, which is like a barbarian thing. Uh-huh. Wisteria something scoundrels. Wisteria society of lady scoundrels. And that has flying houses and pirates. Yes. And the neon gods, which is like a spicy Hades story. <sighs> I think I'm going to go with the wisteria one. Nice. I think that's where I got to go. It's pretty spectacular. Um, I am a fan of bonkers when yeah. it comes to my romance. And I'm this glad delivers. that I picked that one. <laughs> I should have asked that question because that's what I want to hear. About. You want to hear bonkers? Yeah. Oh, I got bonkers for you. <laughs> In fact, I marked a passage that I want to read just because it made me laugh so hard that I was like, I, I need to read this to Peter just so he has a sense of what's going on in this book. I love it. So it's the first in a new series called Dangerous Damsels. Okay. And the second title has been announced, and it's something about um, late, like gentlewoman witches. I don't remember, but it sounds great. I'm excited to read it. Uh, so the Wisteria Society is a group of proper Victorian ladies, um, and they're also thieving pirates with flying houses <laughs> at the same time. So they do all of the proper Victorian lady things like wear corsets and take tea and avoid what they call the great peril, which is the sun, which causes freckles. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a Victorian thing? Uh, It's a, it's a white lady thing from the past. Yeah. Basically you wanted to be as fair as possible. And I think honestly there are places where that's still true. Did they really call it the great peril? (laughs) That I don't know. Okay. But I think it's a great name. Mildly dramatic, but yeah, yeah, pretty good. (laughs) Well, and as someone who doesn't, like, I sunburn quite easily. Me too. Yeah. So The Great Peril, I think, is is a name I could adopt for for myself. I am the only uh, man that I know that has a full body swimsuit (laughs) that I wear... Whenever I'm in on the water. You're like that old 1920s guy with the yeah. stripey swimsuit? Yep. Excellent. That would be, that's me. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so in addition to all of these proper ladylike activities, they also do things like um, steal hair combs from the Duchess at the opera. They like sneak into her box and steal the emerald hair comb out of her hair. Um, they partake in diverting assassination attempts with the other ladies of the society. Like just for funsies? Just for funsies. <laughs> and it's like a, a compliment. It's like, oh, you know, Lady Darlington took out a, a hit on me. Isn't that like, I'm so flattered. <laughs> she considers me like a, a threat. She sure does keep it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they also blackmail each other, like a little hint of blackmail here and there is very nice. So the main character is Cecilia Basingthwaite, and she is Lady uh, Darlington's ward. She's Lady Darlington's ward because her mother died when she was young. So her mother has this scandalous past where she ran away with this guy who 
Gasp reads poetry in Wuthering Heights, oh. a scandal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he is now the villainous Captain Morvath, and he flies Northangerland Abbey. <laughs> he flies, okay. Yes, Northangerland Abbey, uh, and he reads Gothic novels, and he has hired Ned Lightborn, um, who has also been hired by Lady Armitage, um, as an assassin for Cecilia. Okay. <laughs> and her father wants him to kidnap Cecilia so that he can marry her off to her cousin so that he can get a hold of this other great flying pirate house. <laughs> <laughs> Lots going on. Lots of moving parts. Your typical story from the era mm-hmm. of a guy trying to marry off his daughter in yeah. order to get a second flying house. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ned, who is the assassin slash kidnapper, is actually a secret agent of the crown. Uh-huh. And so his job is really to make sure that Cecilia is not going to grow up to be a villain like her dad. Uh-huh. And if she is, he has to assassinate her. So he's crossing his fingers that she isn't because he actually really likes her a lot. <laughs> okay. So they are the main <laughs> couple. Um, and it has a really particular, like, whimsical sense of humor where it combines, like, super proper things, super crazy things, like taking tea and flying a house as a pirate. Uh-huh. Um, and I would say it, people seem to either really love it or it doesn't work for them at all. I particularly really love it. Anyone who has read Gail Carragher, uh-huh. who wrote the Soulless series, that's the kind of sense of humor we're dealing with here for anybody okay. who, who knows that. Um, It's kind of this dry, absurd wit. For anyone who hasn't, I'm just going to read a quick passage where Cecilia describes her education. Um, She says, Auntie believes too much education corrupts the delicate minds of young ladies. I received only the basic instruction at home. Reading, writing, horse riding, navigation, weapons handling, (laughs) piano, harp, the principles of burglary, geography, (laughs) arithmetic, anatomy... Metalwork, confidence trickery, history, battle tactics, and dining etiquette. (laughs) (laughs) Confidence trickery. (laughs) Confidence trickery. And she's super confident, and there are all of these great scenes where she's like walking down the street, and you, the narrator is describing all of these suspicious activities happening around her. Like someone is like lurking around a corner with a gun, and she seems completely oblivious. And then everything will start, and she just, like, shoots everyone down. (laughs) Like, she knew it was happening the whole time. It's really funny. It's really charming and whimsical and full of adventure. Like, they really are pirates. They fly houses. They shoot other houses down. They try to assassinate each other. But they're very well-mannered about the whole thing. (laughs) As long as they're polite about it. They're very polite. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it's shocking. Should someone go out without, like, their parasol, what were you thinking? (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) That sounds pretty amazing. It's unusual. And uh, the only other thing that even comes close to it to me is the Soulless series. And that's very paranormal in tone. It has, like, vampires and werewolves. This is really just, you know, a hint of magic. There's a spell that will make your house fly, and you can turn it into a pirate ship. And it, like, how well you... How well you fly your house depends on how well you say the incantation. <laughs> so, like, her aunt is constantly, like, landing it in the middle of a cow field uh, or on top of another house. <laughs> it's great. That sounds pretty awesome. It's great. I really like it. It's funny. It's um, 
it's bonkers. It's over the top. And that's something that I really appreciate. I think that's something that I, is interesting to me about romance too, is like an outsider, Mm -hmm. but my view of it seems to be like, it's a genre that has not afraid to do something kind of specific yeah, and to be like, you know, some people are really not going to like this. Mm -hmm. And some people are going to be like, this is basically a book that feels like it I wrote it as I was reading it. Like yeah. the things that I want to happen are happening. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that the romance reading community is unusual in that it it embraces all kinds of readers and is yeah. particularly good at being like dark romance where it's like a mafia guy kidnaps someone and they fall in love. Not for me. Right. Um, but people love it and that's great. Right. <laughs> you know, so... There's a space for everybody in romance, which yeah. I really appreciate and, and love about that community. It's got to be nice because it's sort of like, you know, how am I going to make fun of this person for liking a romance that's about like a marriage of convenience mm-hmm. from whatever? And I'm like, but I was reading all those cage fighter romances. Like, yeah. who am I to say? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that seems to be like a... That seems to be a nice aspect of that community yeah. where it's like other, like the literary fiction community to me feels a little more judgmental at times yeah, about I like, think so too. what are you reading a Jack Reacher? What's wrong with you? Yeah. You know? And oh, come on. Well, and you can't, uh, you've never met another romance reader who is a stranger. Like the minute yeah. you find out you both read romance, everyone's just spitting out 700 recommendations. Like, have you read so-and-so? <laughs> what about that series? No, I haven't heard of it. Writing it down. It's like. Yeah. yeah, it feels too like, you know, you'll be browsing Netflix or something and you find a show that you're like, oh, I really like this. And then you're like, how is there 14 seasons of this? 25 episodes. Knew. I'm strapped in. And it's like romance feels like that to me, too, where it's like once you find a cert, you'll find a niche and then you're like, wow, there's like 50 books for me to read yeah. now. Yeah. There's actually, we're, we're having an exciting time in romance right now, particular <laughs> corner. For all of those Cressley Cole fans out there, she wrote a series called Immortals After Dark, which is, I believe, now 18 books. Wow. And we've been waiting on the, the, the book Monroe for years. <laughs> and we're not sure exactly what's going on. There are rumors flying everywhere. She had been in an accident or she was ill or there were contract problems. My guess it was probably contract problems because this book has been independently published. Oh. So I'm guessing she wanted out of her contract because she can make more money on her own. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know I'm that sure. that's true. That's a guess. But yesterday, Monroe came in the mail for me. Whoa. I am very excited. So it finally dropped. Finally dropped. I <laughs> could not be more excited. It is on my bed at home waiting for me to start it this weekend. When you say it's like a long time, so how long is that? How how long has it been since yeah, the last? Yeah, like what's the gap? Hang on, let me look it up. Do you think the gap between this one and the last one is longer than the first one up to the last one before? Well, the first one came out in 2006. Okay. So that gives you a sense. Let me find out when the book before Monroe. This is one of those series where the titles all sound kind of the same, and so... There are probably people out there who can keep them straight, but it's like wicked deeds on a winter's night, dark needs at night's edge, dark desires after dusk. I have no oh, idea. Yeah. 
what any like I have to go. That's what, number four. What was the That's number five. Like, yeah. What was the plot? Was that Naomi? I don't remember. <laughs> so um, it's like when you're uh, trying to remember a Fallout Boy song, and you're like. I don't know. It's got like a five sentence title. How am I? I don't. No one exactly. knows what that is. It's that one about the parade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> so the last book, book seventeen, is called Wicked Abyss, and it was released in twenty seventeen. Okay. So we've been waiting since twenty seventeen for Monroe. So from two thousand six to twenty seventeen is eleven years, uh-huh. and there were eighteen published. Seventeen. In, seventeen in eleven years, and, and then, now we've been waiting five. For Jeez. Yeah. That is a long time. Yeah. We've been trying to be patient, <laughs> sometimes unsuccessfully. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it, this book has been announced like three or four times in the last year. It was like, it's coming out. It was supposed to come out like last summer. And we were all like, yes. And then it just became apparent that it was not. <laughs> there was no cover. There were no announcements coming. We were all like, yeah, no, it's not happening. So weird. So then we heard it's it's coming out in January, and I was like, well, fingers crossed. <laughs> we'll see we'll if I see. believe it. Yeah. And I pre-ordered it, and it was like, we have a new shipping update for your book. And I was like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> is this a good shipping update, or is this a... Yeah, and then they played with my emotions. They're like, it should get there on Wednesday. And I was like, how exciting. And then they were like, no, it's going to get there on Friday. And I was like, oh, actually, it's going to get there on Thursday. <laughs> There's like a, a saga like that happening with uh, Cormac McCarthy's book, his next book, because I think his last one was The Road. So it's been a long wow. time. Yeah. And he's had one that he's been working on. And like every once in a while it pops up on, there's some website that's like for sort of pre, pre-orders mm-hmm. and like it gets assigned an ISBN and stuff. And it's like untitled Cormac McCarthy project. Yeah. And it, it'll pop up on there, and then it goes away, and then it'll come back, and it's like, it's shipping in October, and then it yeah. disappears again. Never mind. It, yeah, it just keeps happening, and I'm like, what is going on with this book? Clearly, the book exists somewhere yeah. on someone's computer. Theoretically, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it happened. Yeah, me too. That is, that is exciting news. We have another um, Immortals After Dark reader here in the building. And so when I came in this morning, I was like, guess what I got in the mail? She's like, I'm guessing it's the same thing I got in the mail. (laughs) Awesome. Yep, it was pretty great. (laughs) All right, your turn. Let's see, what do I want you to talk about? I think I want you to talk about How Do You Live? Okay. How Do You Live is a Japanese book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was written in the 30s, or oh, it came wow. out in the 30s. Throwback. Yeah, and it hadn't really been released in the United States. Uh, I don't know if it had ever been released in the United States. But it recently, interest got kicked up in it because the um, animator filmmaker Miyazaki okay. um, cited it as a favorite of his. Okay. And like informed some of how he... Uh, sees the world and so on. So then, of course, a bunch of people were like, we must have this, yeah. you know, like, let's get on it. <laughs> so it mostly follows uh, a boy who's uh, named Copper or nicknamed, nicknamed Copper. Um, and it's kind of just like his school life. And like he's going through school and stuff. And he has sort of a difficult life because he's living in the 30s and his father died. So he he gets some parenting from like his uncle and from his mom. 
Okay. And it's kind of a mixture. He makes some friends in school, and then they kind of go through some, like, uh, difficult times together. And including some times where, like, uh, there's an incident where this seems like kind of a Japanese thing that I don't know if it totally makes sense here, but uh, basically they're in a school where there's, like, upperclassmen and they're lowerclassmen. And uh, the upperclassmen feel like this new crop of lowerclassmen are, like, disrespectful. Okay. And so that kind of brews into a bigger incident where... Uh, the upperclassmen are threatening a particular list of lowerclassmen. Threatening? And, like to beat them up or whatever. Okay. And so one of the lowerclassmen on the list is one of Copper's friends. Okay. So there's this group of four boys and they kind of all decide like, well, we'll stand by you, like whatever, you know. Goonies never say die. Exactly. Yeah. The incident occurs and... Copper chickens out and he's kind of off to the side and doesn't like run in to help his friend. And the other three friends all kind of stay there and, you know, help him out as right. much. Basically they all get punched instead of just him getting punched. <laughs> Cause you know, they're like little kids. <laughs> school is hard, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, I was like, well, I guess school sucks in Japan too. Like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, and that, that becomes a big rift, you know, cause and he kind of has to deal with how he feels about that and whatever. The reason I picked it, I guess, for this particular podcast was because something that I've noticed in books is it, you don't see a whole lot of like what I would call intimate male friendships yeah. in books or movies or whatever. You'll see like relationships of... um you know, master-apprentice type relationships. You'll see relationships of father-son or, like, brothers or something. But you don't see a lot of what I would call intimate male friendships that are not romantic. Yeah. And, you know, there's no movement in that direction. And I always find them fascinating, mm -hmm. I guess, because you just don't see it that often. But it's something that I have experienced in real life a yeah. lot. So it, it's weird to me because it seems like you don't see it a lot in fiction, but I feel like it happens a lot in real life. Yeah. So it's always interesting to see how different people depict that. And like this book kind of shows the evolution of the friendship from these kids don't really know each other and then they become very good friends and, you know, kind of lifelong friends and all that stuff. The structure is a little weird because the book will have an incident and then usually Copper tells his uncle about the incident and then there'll be sort of a separate section where the uncle, it's from the uncle's diary uh -huh. and he's kind of like explaining things or expands it into a bigger connective sort of narrative, I guess. Okay. I thought those sections were a little boring. Okay. They were a little drier. Um, but for some readers, I'm sure that would be lovely. It's just not my thing. But it, it was like a really pleasant read in yeah. a lot of ways. It's like a really gentle read. Mm -hmm. It feels like, it kind of feels like a sort of, I don't know, junior high school type of, it's like the outsiders, but you know, you're not like no killing people in a fire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're not stabbing everybody. Like, 
a kid gets punched pretty good in the stomach, and that's about as, as violent as it gets. Yeah. So it feels like it, it fits right in there, and it's just one that, like, somehow everyone skipped over. Yeah. Which is explicable because it was in Japan and not right. here. So it's kind of nice to go back to that feel, that yeah. feel of a book that I don't know. I haven't read anything like that in a long time. Yeah. I love reading about friendships, too. Like, I, I'm a romance reader. I love reading about romantic relationships, but I love reading about friendships almost exactly as much. Yeah. Like, a really good friendship is just so satisfying to read about. Yeah, it's really nice. And, like, this feels very realistic, too, because the way the boys behave and the way that uh, their different lives sort of shape them feels very real. Yeah. You know, and it deals with very real things like, you know, maybe sometimes we don't behave the way we thought we would or the way we wish we had. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, it kind of gives like nice guidance of like, so when that happens, what do you do? And how do you, how do you make it work? Yeah. So it was A plus. Yeah. Fun. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, it's a good one. It's got a, also a nice, a very short but nice introduction by uh, Neil Gaiman. Oh, okay. So I think that's also given it a boost. Yeah. That's cool. So, okay. An older book, but newly discovered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah nice. I think the, the translation of it or whatever came out in 2021. Okay, so pretty new to the English-speaking yeah. audiences. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think there was maybe another translation that came out briefly like 20 or 30 years ago, right. but I don't think it caught caught fire. Books in translation are so easy to lose track of. Yeah. It's a weird one, too, I think, uh, because it's sort of, it's this weird in-between between like an adult book and a book for kids. Yeah. I don't know. It might be a little too much for kids, yeah. but... It kind of appears like a kid's book yeah. as an adult. so It's like it, a coming-of-age story. Yeah. But not aimed at children. Yeah. and like or nostalgic, maybe. Yeah, I think so. And coming out when it did, too, it was like, well, this is like pre... I always think about it as like the Toy Story divide. Like before Toy Story, you know, Disney movies and stuff were for kids. Right. Like you wouldn't really as an adult be all that into it. And then after Toy Story, it started to blur the lines. Mm -hmm. And then you have, like, your Shreks. And then your Marvel movies blurred even further, you know, so on. So, And then you start getting anime that's specifically for adults and not for children. Yes. Then it turns another corner. And you're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. That's how do you live. Yay. Well, should we go through our four titles? Yes. Again? All right. I will start. So my first pick was A Heart of Blood and Ashes by Millivane, which is a barbarian kind of epic fantasy romance, and it's exceptionally good. Uh, anybody who reads epic romance and is interested, or epic fantasy and is interested in trying romance, I would point you in this direction because it does all the world building of epic fantasy, but it's definitely also a romance. Uh, and it involves um like a marriage of convenience or maybe a marriage of revenge i should say cuz one char- the hero's character uh his parents were murdered by the heroine's family 
and she has a, as much reason to hate them as he does, and so they unite to kind of get revenge on her family, but he doesn't trust her entirely. Yeah. So good. I like it. <laughs> and I'm raring to go for the second book. The third <laughs> book isn't out yet. Uh, then I did The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels by India Holton, which we talked about. Third book was Neon Gods by Katie Robert, which is like an, an almost, I'd say, erotic romance. Um, super spicy, so be forewarned. <laughs> and it is a society that models itself after like Greek gods. So it's an elected position. So Persephone, the main character, Persephone's mother, is called Demeter because she is in charge of distributing food, because Demeter was the goddess of the harvest. So um, she doesn't realize that her mother has kind of sold her in a marriage to Zeus, who has an unfortunate history of killing his wives. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So rather than marry (laughs) Zeus, she runs across the river to the the territory that belonged to Hades, who everyone assumes is dead, but is in fact not dead. And she agrees to enter a relationship with him, that will ruin her in the eyes of Zeus so that she will be too sullied for marriage. And also then he can feel the satisfaction of having gotten revenge on Zeus who killed his father by, you know, sleeping with his bride, basically. (laughs) Everyone gets what they want. Yeah. And it's really quite good. It's the first in a series. The second book is, I think, a rock star romance um, based on Narcissus. Oh, okay. Then we did Isn't It Bromantic by Lissa K. Adams, which is the fourth in the Bromance book club, which nice. also has some really great male friendships in case you wanted to dip your toes into romance again. I meant to ask you about that too. So that's part four. Is yeah. this one where you could start wherever? Or? I think you could. Um, the only thing you're going to find out is that all of the romances from the previous books were successful. And oh, okay. frankly, surprise, surprise. Right. <laughs> like, um, but I do think that you'll get a little something extra of knowing the characters that came before. Um, there are some inside jokes and stuff that will make it better if you've read them. But if you just really aren't interested and you'd want to dive right in here, I don't think you'll have any trouble. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. I had 100 Nights of Hero by Isabel Greenberg, which we talked about. How Do You Live by Genzaburo Yoshino, which we talked about. Uh, I had Upgrade Soul by Ezra Clayton Daniels. So this is about an older couple that basically goes into this lab to do this um, very experimental procedure that puts them in new bodies Mm -hmm. because they're a little older and um, whatever. Of course, this doesn't go well. (laughs) And yeah, there are several unexpected Horrible consequences to doing this. It's nice because the old older couple is like, they're very much in love with each other. Mm-hmm. One of the complications is so they kind of end up having clones of themselves. Okay. Um, so the older people are still in their bodies and then there are these new clones who one of them's on the cover and they kind of look like giant sweet potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> And so there's a the the original husband and wife and there's the sweet potato husband and wife. Sweet potato. And the sweet potato wife is kind of describing how uh she's not in love with her sweet potato husband and she's saying like, "Well, I'm in love with the original because I have your memories. I have 
whatever. And when I look at him, I see my husband. When I look at the sweet potato version, I don't see my husband. You know, mm-hmm. I see this other being. And, and like, it makes sense. Yeah. So it it confronts a lot of weird things about life and death and love and stuff. And then it's nice, too, because nobody in it is, like, evil. There's not, like, some mad scientist or the head of some pharmaceutical company who's, like, rubbing his hands together or something. Right. It's, like everybody's kind of in over their heads and is like, oh, no, this is not working. Everyone has good intentions. Everyone wants a good outcome. Yeah. And unfortunately, there is not a good outcome. (laughs) And the last one is Beautiful You by Chuck Palahniuk. Um, This is kind of his parody of uh, popular erotic fiction, I would say. Um, It's really gross. It's really over the top. I think it's his most misunderstood book which is saying a lot from the person who wrote Fight Club. Because, I don't know, that came out when I was probably in early college. And I think I do, like, at least a couple dopes who, like, burn their hands with lye or something because they were like, this will be cool. And I was like, I thought this book was kind of about, like, male intimacy, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you read closely? You and I have very different takeaways from this book. You're like, we should start a fight club. And I was like, oh, I thought we should talk about our feelings. (laughs) But anyway, I think it was misunderstood because definitely what he's doing is a lot of parody. And I think the book is probably better if you've read a lot of like Fifty Shades of Grey and those types of book, which makes it challenging because I don't think there's a lot of readers of that type of book who are also looking to read a book that kind of makes fun of that type of book. Right. But, you know, he does some things like uh, the main character, Penny, has, like, two roommates. And they're kind of, like, ethnic stereotypes. Mm. And the idea is because that's how it works in, in a, like, a bad rom-com. Right. We'll have, like, a side character who shows up for a total of 90 seconds on screen. Right. And is basically an, a stereotype, yeah. right? The sassy Latina best friend or the... She has like a, you know, quote, spicy Latina roommate, yeah. you know? And the point he was trying to make there was like, this is like a trope that happens yeah. all the time. And I think a lot of people read it and were like, do you have any idea what you're doing? And he's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. But... Yeah, I can. That is like a, a pitfall in doing parody is if people don't realize that you did it on purpose, right? Then you just look racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think people kind of misunderstood the book, or they—I yeah. don't know what. I don't know. It's it's an odd one, but I think if you just kind of like commit to enjoying the ride, yeah, you're just like whatever's happening here is fine, and I'll just sort of sit back and enjoy the ride. It's interesting, to say the least. And it's got a pretty wild ending. So I liked it. Okay. (laughs) But, you know. (laughs) You're a fan of... I like a lot of of horrible things, too. I am, yeah. My my best, best friend in the entire (laughs) world. (laughs) Who definitely knows who I am. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. All right. Success. We did it. We did it again. Again. Oops. Who would have guessed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next month will be March. Yeah. I don't you know. You want to just pick go whatever for it. you were reading? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I do. Excellent. No theme. No theme. Themes are out. 
We'll see if I can get to Because April, you wanted planets. to do poetry, right? Yes. Yeah, we should. So, yeah, we should have an easy month before you make me do poetry. <laughs> right. March you through a bunch of poetry that you don't want to read. <laughs> cruel, cruel person. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. See you next time. See you next time. Oh, I'll, I'll start next time. Yeah, you will. We if we remember. remember. Yeah. We'll have to see. I'll try and remember that we said this at the end. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.